Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Anna Alex. Welcome. Hello. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the same set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful startup, and that is tech growth, people, data, and ESG. Anna, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Hi, I'm Anna Alex, and I'm the founder of Planetly, and I'm an entrepreneur now for 10 years. Before Planetly, I founded Outfittery. Who is your target group at Planetly? At Planetly, we're targeting businesses who want to understand and reduce their carbon footprint and become more sustainable in their operations. Okay, and that that is important to understand. It's a B two B company as such, um, and you do that for profit, right? You're not a non profit organization or anything like that. Exactly. I always say we are a for purpose, for profit organization. So we have a very strong purpose at our core, and at the same time, we have a good business model. And I think these two things can go very well together and should go together. To be honest, very nice claim for purpose, for profit. I remember that. And very good recommendation. Yeah, Thank feel free that. to use it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Now let's get started. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? That is a tough question. And I think what is actually most more important than the specific hires is the attitude of the people, of the first five people you're hiring. Um, because they are setting the stage and they are setting the tone of the whole company. So you should choose them very wisely and really assess them, not just on the skill side, but as well on the cultural side. Um, because the culture and the company culture is hugely shaped by them and by the first five hires. And oftentimes, I guess this is really hard because you are a, oftentimes a nobody, right? So you don't have an employer brand. You oftentimes don't even have funding. So these people need to trust you that you can make it and need to quit their jobs in, in order to, to join your idea. Um, and this is so probably the first five hires are the most critical and the most difficult ones as well. So what were your first five hires? You had a little bit of a jumpstart probably because of your experience um, and, and network due to Outfittery. Yeah, luckily. So my co-founder and I were both serial entrepreneurs. So people thought, okay, so if they could do it once, they could do it again. So there was a little like higher degree of trust that, that we had. But even for us, I mean, so for us, the first in, in the beginning, we thought the first hire needs to be a technical co-founder. Um, otherwise, uh, we, we cannot start. And then we didn't found the perfect match for this, to be honest. And in the end, we made it without. So we uh, very early on then hired a very strong CTO, um, but um, not as a technical co-founder. And this worked out for us. So I think there is no like black and white and just like right or wrong. So um, I, I found that like multiple setups can be successful in the end. Uh -huh. But then the CTO was one of the first five. And, yes. and, and who else did you hire then? 
So it was a it was a it was a CTO that we um, had a very strong uh, head of finance who was a little bit like the in the position of chief of staff as well. So taking care of all these many things that are there in in the company, right? So, and it, in general, I think this needs to be the attitude of everyone you hire. So everyone needs to build up the IKEA desks in the beginning, right? And can't say, oh, this is not my job. What what would you say are the hardest hires today? So the hardest hires, um, and, and for us, uh, the hardest hires for us definitely are the people with a strong sustainability background, which are, of course, very, very important for us as a company. And there's only a handful of experts out there. There's only a handful of people who really like work in the domains of carbon accounting and ESG for decades. And we were lucky to find one very early on who is actually sitting in, in, the, in the groups which are setting the criteria for carbon neutrality. Um, but this is really where, and it still is. And for example, many consultancies out there said like they will hire tens of thousands of people into their ESG practices over the next years. But these people simply do not exist. So we need to all train them and we need to educate our whole business world actually on the topics of sustainability and ESG. How do you measure employee satisfaction? We um, we are doing a pulse check for with our employees um, every few weeks. So we are asking for different um, different questions regarding their workplace, regarding their satisfaction, how appreciated they feel in the team. And um, we're as well measuring the employee net promoter score. So would they recommend Planetly as a place to work? And then we can track this over time and compare it and see where did we improve or where did we maybe decrease as well. Do you use any tool for that? No, we're just doing this in some some Google Forms. Um, there are tons of tools out there, all very, very expensive. Uh, we haven't found like one yet where we feel the costs are are worse what were the value okay how do you measure employee performance um we don't have like this one central employee performance number um the employee performance is very individual and we are doing this through individual reviews and and goals and in the end it is the company performance so making sure that your whole leadership team is actually incentivized on the same on reaching the business case in the end and making the company successful i think is the most important thing to 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 yeah incentivize your whole company and all employees what's your favorite type of an org chart how would you structure an organization <laughs> so I don't think that there's this one right structure for an organization. So it can have so many different shapes and um, aspects to it. For us, the key principle when designing our organization has always been clarity and ownership. So having complete clarity, who is responsible for what, and a very, very high degree of ownership attached to the people and what, what they're doing. And if, if these two principles are followed, almost every organizational structure or org chat could probably work out. Um, and I think the most important thing is that people um, need to dare to speak up if things are unclear. So a good leadership always builds its own rebellionist, if you want to put it like this, in the team. Build, a good leadership always builds its own like resistance. Um, and yeah, so we've done it like this and it worked for us. So um, 
Next question is actually going to that direction. And you mentioned culture before for your first hires. So what's your approach to culture? So my favorite sentence of all times is culture is eating strategy for breakfast. And I think it was Churchill who once said it, but uh, there are different sources of this. But it is so true and culture is so important. And additionally to this, you need to understand that you cannot change culture really. So if you said it wrong in the beginning, you cannot fix it later on. So this should be one of the main foci and priorities of the founders in, in the early times of the business. Remote first or office first? So we founded Planetly and three months later, the pandemic hit us. So um, we have been used to being remote first and we will stay remote first, even now that office life is back. And I, I actually love it. But from time to time, we, we need to make sure to see each other. This is important. So, so do you have an office or? Yes, we do still have an office um, and we're looking for a bigger office currently. <laughs> tech. Would you call Planetly a tech company? Yes, absolutely. We're a climate tech company. Um, I don't know if you have both functions, but if you think about product management on one hand and then the developers or IT on the other, who of the two should be in the lead? Yes. So we have product management and engineers and no one is in the lead. So this is, and, and I think, again, there is no right and wrong. So this is very much depending on the individual people. So sometimes you have the more natural leader in the CTO or sometimes in the CPO. And in our case, it's a collaboration on, on eye level, I'd say. So product says what and development says how. Uh-huh. So the decision on what to develop next sits with product? Yes, or actually with our customers. So then indirectly with product, because product needs to be the voice of the customers. Um, and then they have external customers and internal stakeholders as well. And they need to balance the needs of, of all of them. Can you, can you describe a little bit the decision-making process? How does that work? Um, so it is, I, I can say so that many of the decisions, so most of the time, maybe let's put it like this. Most of the time product and engineering is coming to us with already a joint suggestion of the roadmap. And there are some technical things on there to get rid of some tech debt or to build some critical technical infrastructure and it's balanced now with the customer needs. So they are already doing a good job and pre-aligning before we even see that. And I think this is how it needs to be done. So you can't do like just one side or the other. You need to understand when you're like ignoring your tech debt, this will hit you hard in a few years time, right? Um, so both voices needs to be heard and it needs to be really good like collaboration. Okay, and then they come. They approach you with a common uh, suggestion, and and then you basically sign off on that. Exactly, exactly. And I think the most important thing is actually not the decisions or how the roadmap in the end really looks like, but is the like decision making process. So how do you make sure that the introverts are heard? How do you make sure that that it's not just a bad compromise in the end? So um, yeah. What's your take on product led growth? 
Oh, I love the theory of product-led growth. Um, in reality, I think it needs to be assessed if, if it's right for your target group. So in our case, we're working a lot with enterprise businesses and there the value is limited. So no, uh, let's say Danone would just sign up for some software, do it all themselves and then do the selling process themselves, right? So the bigger the, your, your target group gets, um, the, the more... The, the value is limited, I guess. Which role does design play in your company? Design plays a huge role, and I think it's highly underestimated in many companies, and especially in the B2B space. Um, and I think actually today the design needs to be, for a B2B company, needs to be at the same level like for B2C companies. Because in the end, it's people who are using your software and in no way they have like less requirements on the design of the software that they're using on a daily basis. And this has changed drastically over the last decade or so. I mean, so before design didn't play a big part in, in the B2B space. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's probably still coming from times when a purchasing department was buying some tool for somebody to use. And these times have changed. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, would you outsource software development? Um, so it's not a complete no-go for me. I think for part of the technology, this could be a good idea. Um, but the key is to have a really strong like buy-in and ownership of your CTO. So if this is something that you as a CEO, you have the idea to outsource and then you're pushing this through to your CTO and in the end, in the end they, they didn't really bought into that idea, then it won't work. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel from brand to marketing to sales to customer success, do you have all these functions at Planetly? Yes, we do have all these functions. Um, on brand in the early years, I'm very convinced of that needs to be very connected to the founders and actually needs to sit in the responsibility of the founders. Um, because it had the brand has to do a lot with the personal brand of the founders. Um, and yeah, so this is yeah. uh, you, you are yourself a, a visible person on, on social media, etc. So you are also a brand asset for your company, right? Yes, exactly. So I use personal brand not to like sh talk about me, but actually giving our brand trust and um, people are trusting people and not brands. And we're following people because we're social, um, social individuals. Right. And so this is the this is the theory behind that. And this is why you're right. Very early on, I used my personal LinkedIn profile, my personal brand. Um, to 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 talk about what we're doing at Planetly, yeah. Again, back to these uh, four functions that I mentioned, um, do you see any of them in the lead for the overall growth process? Or how, how would you structure them? So in the first phase of the business, we had a head of growth overseeing all of these functions. So in the marketing and the sales and as well the customer service. And then over time, when we grew, we splitted the selling and the serving part because selling and serving requires like slightly different mindsets um, of the people. Um, and 
I believe that it's a good step first to put as many departments under one person. So you don't have to do, have these discussions around, no, it's marketing. No, it's sales. It didn't convert it and, and all of this. And it's working in silos. And then over time, you, you need to make sure, of course, that you get specialized in, in the functions. Yeah, exactly. Want to come uh, to that point about the silos because growth. I mean, everybody should like, of course, like have the same objectives of making the company successful. But truth is that among the funnel, um, it's easily happens that the functions blame each other in case the success is not at the level. I mean, when things are good, everything's good. But if the success is maybe not there or the targets aren't hit, they start to blame each other and say it was the other ones not not doing a good job. How how can you avoid that? What can you do in order to break down these silos? So you can give them common goals, you can give them common incentives. And but I think like coming back to our point on culture, the most important part here is having a no blaming culture and having great people who are taking full ownership. Coming back to brand, um, how important is brand for you in, in this whole game? How important is brand for making Planetly successful? So our brand is very, very important. And I think brand is one of the most underestimated functions in business. So if you think of the most like valuable companies in the world, what makes them so valuable is not their performance numbers, but it's their brand. So for Tesla, it's not the number of cars that they're producing, but it's It's, it's their brand that makes them successful. So I think there's a high degree of importance and it's really undervalued, underestimated. And another very good example for actually for how the personal brand can actually influence the, 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 the value of the Yes, overall. very much. And so how do you approach that brand topic for, for Planetly? How, how do you deal with it? So this was one of the first. So after setting our values straight um, in order to set our culture right, we sat down and defined our brand. What we do we want to stand for as a brand? What do we want people to know and remember about us? And in like the whole complexity of the world, in these thousands and millions of information that each and every one of us is like consuming every day, it is important to be very, very clear and explicit what you want to be known for as a brand, what you stand for. And then this needs to align as well with your personal values because otherwise it's just not authentic. So making this explicit and writing it down and then enabling other people in the company to act accordingly is very important and a, a huge part of the branding work that needs to be done. And I think oftentimes founders are um, approaching the whole branding topic like way too late. In the beginning, it's like, I, a brand can wait. And then two years into, we are hiring some expensive agency and then they should work on a great brand for us. So agencies can help, but it, you can do so much on your own in the very beginning. Um, and oftentimes it's only a few days, but making this really being clear and making it explicit explicit is important yeah and i understand you really start with as you said with values and with the question of who you are and who you want to be and not because a lot many approach brand as it's it's a logo and a font type exactly uh, a lot more than that <laughs> um which marketing channels do you use and why these specifically 
So um, from the very beginning, as I said, we put a high attention on brand, on personal brand, and as well on PR um, and social media, which resulted in a huge degree of all our leads coming just for free and inbound because people were aware of us and we were top of mind and we are. Um, so it really paid off all the work that we're doing there. Um, and additionally to this, we're doing some outbound campaigning, um, and this is the most important marketing channels for us. But any, you know, do you uh, do Google campaigns, Facebook campaign, anything in that direction? We, not, not really. So we tried all of this. We're doing some um, SEM overall. We're doing a lot of things on LinkedIn, but this is more in the stage of really experimenting with that. So the whole performance marketing for us isn't a big deal so far, to be honest. How about performance marketing? Is it dead or do you think it's dying anytime soon? <laughs> I don't know. So not so relevant for us. Um, I think it's much more relevant, of course, for B2C companies. Um, yeah, but I don't have a strong opinion on that. <laughs> but you do have salespeople. Yes, yes. So what you need is, and so usually I now ask, where do you find good digi digital savvy salespeople and in your case you on top of that need those who understand your business which which comes in as a third complexity yeah absolutely so i our answer to this is you need to bake them so meaning you need to educate them yourself you need to hunt them oftentimes from university and and seeing their talent and then educate them on the on the art of sales, educate them on the space of sustainability. Data. How does data make Planetly successful? So we are handling a lot of company data and customers' data. In order to calculate the carbon footprint, we need to deal with a lot of data from all different systems, ERP systems, CRM systems, personal HR systems, all of these things. So data is for us very, very important um, in order to give the companies uh, real insights into their sustainability performance. Mm -hmm. So it's basically part of your, the core of your, of your product. How internally um, do you use uh, data internally um, for, uh, for, in which domains? Yeah, so we're, we're, yeah, we're seeing actually data and as well our data scientists as being part of the engineering and, and product teams um, more, more than that. So we're more using it to analyze our customers' data than, than our own internal data. Of course, we're doing this as well, but this is kind of a side function from this team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's probably a little bit philosophical question, but um, should your data team rather answer specific questions that they were asked or... Are they free or should they um, rather take the data available and explore them and find opportunities? Mm, yeah, probably both. I mean, so knowing the question is not always obvious, right? And they can help big deal in finding what the right questions are that we should ask. Um, And digging deeper into the data oftentimes can reveal very, very interesting and critical insights for the business. How do you ensure that people 
in your own company at Planetly, do what the data recommend instead of just, you know, like say, thank you for that, but I follow my gut feeling. <laughs> I think this is, again, a question of culture. So trying to be data-driven and um, is, is definitely part of a culture, but it always needs to be balanced as well because in the beginning, you don't have too much data. And then you shouldn't try to like find data where there just is not enough data. So and listen to your to your gut and balance it wisely. The data driven and, and the gut feeling is, is important for us. Where does your or to whom does your data team report in your organization? It reports into the CTO. Okay. GDPR, is it a struggle or is it an opportunity? I think it's an opportunity um, and very important, of course, for us from the very beginning, as I said, because we're handling so many customer data, we need to make sure that we're um, dealing very diligently with this data and as well with our own data. Um, so, yeah, probably it's both. It's a, it's a struggle and it's an opportunity, but rather an opportunity as I see it, because It brings attention to a very important topic which has been underestimated in the past. Environmental, social and governance. Why did, I would say, why did you start an ESG company? <laughs> so, as I said in the beginning, we're calling ourselves as Planetly a for-purpose-for-profit company. And... Um, Supporting businesses in their ESG and sustainability efforts is such a strong purpose that I love getting up for every morning. And being such a company, I think the highest benefit that I can really tell now is the quality of people that you're attracting. Because the best people today, they don't just like want to earn money. They want to have a super strong purpose and earn some good money at the same time. So they want both. And this is so empowering to know what our purpose is and to really work on this each and every day. And yeah, seeing, seeing attracting the talent that we do is, is, just, is just great. Now, Planetly helps other companies uh, to help the environment. What does Planetly do internally for the environment? Yeah, so we are, of course, eating our own dog food, as you say. <laughs> We're using our own software to understand our carbon footprint. We're doing our own reporting. We're uh, reducing our footprint actively and are as well offsetting what can't yet be reduced. And we're going a step further as well. We're not just offsetting the footprint of the company, but we're as well offsetting um, the private footprint of our employees every day as a benefit. So all of our employees can be called completely carbon neutral. Which role do social aspects play in the way you run your business? Yeah, so like ESG overall, so environmental, social and governance is very connected to each other. So oftentimes businesses which having a strong S are as well are the early ones taking care of the environmental and the climate topics and governance. And so it is it is a it is very interconnected with each other. And um, for us, the S is important as well. So the social part 
taking care of our people um, and encourage them to really find uh, a working mode, which is long-term sustainable for them. So we're not that focused on like pushing each and everyone every day. So this is just not what, what is called a sustainable way, right? But really encourage them to take their holidays, take care, take care of themselves, during the pandemic, oftentimes this was a like challenging personal situation as well. And taking care of our people, for me as a com- as a startup, is is a CEO and founder's task, and um, should be should have a high attention from the founders. How about governance? Uh, any criteria you want to add here about what you do in that field? Governance is really important as well, and it's increasingly important that the bigger the company becomes. Um, I mean, we were lucky, so to say, that we already have been a diverse founder team from the very beginning. So we had a good diversity quota from the very beginning as well in the company. Um, we have a diversity working groups um, and as well, again, here, inclusion and diversity. Um, and go- there's more to governance, of course, than, than this. But all of this needs to be really lived from the top. Now, Planetly is a very special kind of animal here. But imagine you are like whatever normal startup and they focus on ESG. Um, will it help them get funding or would investors, as far as you know, rather see that as a deflection from earn as much as possible? Absolutely not. I think it would help companies a big deal to really have a strong ESG um, metrics and ESG performance because many investors already understood that this is important for companies to be successful going forward. And companies which are ignoring the topic of ESG have a big problem in the future have a big problem to attract the best talent have a problem with their consumer brands have as well problem on the stock market so i think this can't be valued high enough um, for, for companies and is an absolute plus and additionally it is as well that the investors are often now like having sub funds for climate tech for example or are reporting the esg metrics back to their limited partners so they are actively looking for the companies with a strong ESG profile because it let them shine as well. Do you have an ESG officer or something similar at Planetly? Yes, sure we do. So we have a climate officer um, who um, who's taking care of the whole data collection. And then we have a whole green team around them Um which are pushing all sustainability initiatives internally and are as well every Monday morning uh, giving the, the climate news, the most relevant climate news of the last week to the whole team. Where in the organization, in the org chart, is, is that position and, and where should it be? Yeah, this is a good question. And to a certain extent, what we see working with all our customers is that sustainability is still f- looking for its spot like in the organization so for some it is directly reporting to the ceo for some it's sitting more in the in the financial offices so with a cfo um some even have own c-level position like a chief sustainability officer already for that 
what we see in the tendency now with more and more regulations kicking in and making reporting on the carbon footprint and the ESG metrics mandatory, it's more and more tending towards the CFO office. Um, yeah, and it's called carbon accounting for a reason. Yeah, so there are standards that you need to follow and not taking care of this will be very, very expensive. This is why like increasingly CFOs are interested in this topic as well. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? So I have two recommendations. The first is Fast and Curious from Verena and, and Leah. Um, great podcast and great founders. Very inspiring. And the second one, especially for B2B businesses, is there's a great podcast, podcast from Gero Decker and Joel uh, Kaczmarek called the uh, Digital Compact. And it's very, very focused on B2B sales. And it helped me a lot in the beginning because I came from a B2C background and then moving into B2B and like understanding the whole B2B sales world first. And, and Giro did a great job to share how they did it at Signavio and what can be successful and whatnot. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? My top one advice for early stage founders is get a coach get a coach for you as a founder team from the very beginning not only if it's too late or if the first fight was already were already there but get, get a coach who's supporting you along this way because your relationship as co-founders is the most important relationship in the whole company If this is not working, this is the number one reason why companies are failing. And um, getting some professional support in this makes so much sense. And this is what we did in both companies that I found now. And it, it helped us big time. So this is my really number one advice. And number two and number three, probably. So I can't. <laughs> It's very, very important. And then I think the second one is maybe just Like, do what you love, right? It's, I think it's more important to really follow your heart than follow the next business opportunity. The business opportunity will come um, at the way when you're just, like, seeing a space that you love. I think in the beginning when, when like, 10 years ago or over 10 years ago when I was still at Rocket, we were, like, screening business opportunities and markets, and then we're saying, okay, hey, uh, whatever, selling uh, vegan dog food could be a good business opportunity, right? But this is not how it works. I think by now I, I came to realize it is so important to, to find this, the space first that you love to work in, that you love to deal with the people in. When you're finding a startup in the medical space, you need to really like doctors, And like to hang around with doctors and with, with such like personalities and so on and so forth, right? And so finding your space first and then thinking about the business opportunity second. Last question. Who are the two other founders? I should ask the same set of questions and you will make an introduction for me. <laughs> okay. So um, the first One I would recommend is Marius Hepp from Junto. Um, and they are doing education for businesses. Um, 
And the second one is Geza Biermann from Pina. Um, and they are enabling um, owners of forests to um, use their forests as a force of good for the environment and, and keep it like that. Okay. Then thank you very much. I'm much looking forward for getting these introductions. Um, thank you for answering the 42 questions. And um, thanks for everybody listening in. Hope to have you here with us with the next episode again. Bye-bye. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com.